from the boardroom to the shop floor. Good business runs on good governance. Join esteemed expert in governance, Dr. Nimrod Dembele, for the next hour as he takes us beyond governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa. Good evening and welcome to tonight's installment of Government. My name is Nimrod Mbele and thanks for lending us your, your, your ears on this glorious Tuesday evening. Uh, I'm delighted to share this space and time with you as we continue our quest to bring inside via guests. Uh, talking of guests, tonight we have a guru in brand leadership. Oh, uh, who am I talking about here, if you, you might ask? I'm talking about Tevi Kalafe. Uh, the gist of our conversation tonight is going to be around effective leadership at the macro and corporate level. So so please stay tuned and, and as we reflect on salient points, which table will articulate, I'm definitely sure about that. Uh, I'm sure you, are, you, you might have lots of questions uh, for Tebe. Please weigh in in our conversation. Our SMS line is 34519. Telegram is 0618951019. And, of course, my Twitter handle is at Mbele Nimrod. Uh, please weigh in, as I've already indicated. As a norm, we normally start off the program by reflecting on issues of national importance. I just want to quickly, you know, uh, uh, put it to you or reflect on the Deputy uh, Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, uh, you know, when he had a, uh, you know, a, a, what's the word that I'm looking for? A bit of a unpleasant uh, in a situation with the then President uh, Jacob Zuma when he walked out. Um, you know, uh, subsequent to that, he's obviously went on, on record that he's going to press uh, criminal charges against the, the then president. What do you take on that? I mean, look, it, for me, it's a very simple, it's, it's, it's a very simple issue. If the principle of equality before the law, uh, um, is upheld, it doesn't really matter who you are, whether you the, whether you are the former president or not, that's immaterial. But what is material in an event that um, Zona does not have his way? Um, my, my biggest worry is the precedent. Uh, as we all know that they are, we're still awaiting numerous uh, 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 people who will be testifying before the commission. And some of these uh, witnesses may, may obviously take you from the president's, uh, you know, uh, 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 position in terms of posture by walking away in an event that they feel a uh, bit, bit heated. So that's my only concern about, about this particular issue. And bearing in mind that the commission has already spent close to 750 million rands, um, of taxpayers' money. So the sooner we wrap this thing, the, the, the sooner we wrap up this commission, the better. Uh, anyway, that's my take. What's your view? This is not my show. This is your show. I am quite keen to hear your thoughts. I'm sure everybody's like, no, the, you know, the president shouldn't have walked out. I mean, the, the deputy chief justice uh, is on course or is correct by pressing criminal charges because the president has no right to undermine authority because the, the law is very clear on that particular issue. In any event, you've got a different view. Please share with us. This is not my show. It's your show. And uh, the other issue that I wanted to quickly reflect on, I came across an article written by Bonang Mahale, uh, which appeared on Business Day entitled Downgrading Triple Whammy Hit uh, South Africa when, when it was already in a fiscal crisis. Uh, we know that the rating agents have express, expressed a pessimistic view about the country's fortunes. Uh, one thing that I picked up from the article, which, he, you know, he has been articulating the same views 
uh, on this very show uh, on a numerous occasion. And it was quite interesting to see how he sort of chronologically presented those thoughts. One of them is, well, obviously, the pedestrian uh, economic growth in the last past 10 years, the weak finances. Uh, the third is deteriorating debt burden. We know that our debt burden is it's, it's encroaching close to 6-70%, the last time I checked, to GDP. And the issues around uh, significant fiscal and economic and social constraints, the iterative rising borrowing costs. We know that uh, with the downgrade that have just been, you know, thrown away, the, the cost of borrowing is going to be quite excessive. And of course, the expected 8% GDP uh, contraction this year, with, you know, figures range between 8 to 10%, but assuming 8% is the, is the highest. I mean, that, that signals nothing but disaster. And of course, he also made mention of a ballooning public, public uh, wage bill, which is constant, consistently above the budget wage settlement for the past 10 years. I mean, what do you make of that? The lack of, I mean, one of the issues that he raised in the article is the lack of political will to implement and deliver promised systemic and structural and economic reforms to boost their growth. What's your view on that? I mean, uh, the last point that I thought it was quite, quite credible is the fact that we, of course, we have uh, stubbornly high levels of income, wealth and asset inequality. So these are some of the issues that Bonang raised in the article, which I came across, which I think uh, it, it was was nicely written and, and it was presenting very complex issues in a very simple manner that in, uh, anybody can able to follow and really make sense of that. Uh, in parting, as he concludes that particular show, article, that something that resonated with me is the fact that he concluded by saying that in the next two years, if we don't set ourselves out, we would get to a point of no return. I and mean, that's quite scary. If we don't sort ourselves out in the next two years, this country will be, we will, will, will reach a point of no return, which means uh, the debt to GDP ratio stands at 100%. Uh, and would not be able to create, you know, the kinds of job opportunities that we need. You know, the fact that if your debt is quite high, you pay exorbitantly high interest, just just on interest only. So, so this is something that 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 I I I took home, and I hope uh, most people uh, who had the opportunity to, to read that particular article, especially the politicians. But here's a question, you know, here's a multi-million dollar question for me. And I'm sure every listener out there is pondering around the same issues. You know, first, if we are experiencing this economic downturn, how do you account for uh, this, you know, serial out of state-owned enterprises? How do you account for the snow pace in delivering the spectrum? How do you account for bloated public sector wage bill? So how do you account for um, inefficient and very slow pace around land reform? So these are some of the macroeconomic indicators which, if the country were to be, you know, uh, would were to escape the cause of depression, government needs to move with speed in those particular um, areas that I've pointed out. But anyway, uh, those are my views, not, 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 I still definitely welcome yours. And since this is your show, uh, moving on swiftly, let's enter the second leg of our show by welcoming uh, Tabi Galafeng, the brand leadership group and the founder of uh, Brand Africa. 
Uh, Teb is a globally sought after speaker, a writer, commentator. Uh, I mean, the, le- the, the, the list is endless. I mean, I am so privileged to have Tebe on the show uh, this evening. Tebe, good evening and welcome to Beyond Governance. Thank you so much, Nimrod, and, uh, and, and welcome to your, and a good evening to your, to your listeners. Fantastic, man. I'm sure um, those who who know Tebe, uh, who who just might have an acquaintance with him, would definitely want to ask him sort of question. I implore on you, just please. Uh, I'm sure Tebe would be, you know, will indulge you in any question that you might throw his way. Our SMS line is three four five one nine. The Telegram is oh six one eight nine five one zero nine. Tebe, before we we you know get into the you know the the fast paced gear. Uh, for a listener who's coming across this name, if it's, you know, who is Tebe and how, how did Tebe end up as a brand authority, not only South Africa, but, you know, in the, in the continent, pretty much, you know, in the globe? Um, well, I was, I was born and raised in, in Kimberley, in Kimberley, South Africa, and I came to Johannesburg and I, um, in in the 80s, late 80s, end of the 80s, and uh, but then I, I quit quickly and moved to the US and studied there, and I started my first job at Colgate Palmolive in New York. So as you know, uh, Colgate is one of the premier brands uh, in uh, in the world uh, that we all grew up as kids. So imagine growing up with Colgate because we were growing up uh, working for Colgate because growing up we all know knew what Colgate is. I came back to South Africa. Worked for a couple of companies, including Sun International, and I ended up uh, as chief marketing officer for Nike for the country and then for the continent. Um, so that was my formal uh, uh, corporate career. Then I switched off and I started Brand Initiative Group 20 years ago, uh, just about 20 years ago. And um, and really the purpose of what I did with Brand Initiative was to try and help. Uh, and at the time when I started, uh, there weren't any people of color in that space. So, but I wanted to start a, an advisory firm that helps to build brands. At that stage, I was really uh, say I want to be in the space of building brands because I come from uh, from a from a function from a foundation of, of of building brands. And ten years into it, I then segued into thinking Pan African. I said, but I should think broadly. I should think beyond South Africa. I should think uh, continental-wise. Because I then started um, having worries in my mind in terms of um, uh, uh, where do African brands fit in in the big picture? Where are, are, are we? Are we building great African brands? And that's when I started Brand Africa. And Brand Africa was really a pan-African, uh, a non-profit pan-African initiative uh, to try and focus the attention on the continent uh, to drive Made in Africa brand initiatives. Uh, to to change the the image of the continent uh, uh, through uh, through brands. So if so, and uh, and while I'm doing that, and I started asking myself, but why am I talking about the rest of the continent when I haven't been to much of it? Uh, and I think when I started Brand Africa, I'd been to about 10, 15 countries in the continent. Uh, then, I, then I went on a mission to go to every single country in the continent to try and get a texture of the countries that I'm talking about, the continent that I call home. So in a, so in a nutshell, uh, in a nutshell, um, I'm, a, I'm a pan-African uh, 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 brand builder. Uh, you could say I'm an educator, having started um, uh, ten years ago, but now formalizing in a much more structured and, and much more enhanced way, um, and, and an academy that's focused on 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 helping to teach Africans on how to build brands. You could probably say a, a little bit of an adventure, having climbed Kilimanjaro, which is the highest mountain in Africa. Having climbed Mount Elbrus, the highest mountain in Europe, uh, having tried uh, in Russia, and climbed 
um, uh, the, the, the Andes uh, in, in South America, I've bungee jumped every, uh, the highest bungee jump in the world. I have um, I've skydived the, uh, everywhere else in the continent. Um, I have pretty, so, so I've done everything reckless and I've done everything good. That's me. <laughs> wow, how, how amazing is that? How amazing is that? Um, uh, folks, that's typical of um, our guest tonight. Please weigh in uh, via our SMS line, which is 34519. The telegram is 061-895-109. Tebe, I, 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 you know, what is that you've done? But post that question for now. <laughs> Let's look at I mean, the, 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 the issue of... <laughs> <laughs> Let's come back to this. Um, you know, one of the critical issues that you know that as, as a brand authority, as a brand guru, you know for the fact countries can be branded in the same way that goods and services are branded. And from time to time, and based on your very elaborate uh, uh, travel in, in Africa, um, how is firstly South Africa being viewed from a branding point of view? Well, interesting. South Africa is very. Uh, South Africa has gone through. Uh, you, you perhaps could say it has gone through two, three phases as a as as a as a nation brand. For for many years before apartheid, uh, South Africa, I remember, was the last country to be quote unquote liberated from uh, from colonial rule, uh, or at least the remnants of colonial rule. So uh, during that phase. South Africa was seen as a fellow country, a country that everybody wants to liberate, uh, a country that everybody says we need to put our, our energies behind helping South Africa. Then Mandela came out of jail, and between the time Mandela came out of jail and perhaps the first 10 years post-election, uh, South Africa was seen as, um, uh, as, as the place for all Africans to come to. Because it, because it had the infrastructure, uh, we had the brands, we had the ideas, we had the most admired, uh, statesman in the world, Nelson Mandela, uh, we, we, we were seeming to have the greatest, uh, ideas about how to rebuild the continent, we had the highest, uh, uh GDP in the continent, growing fast, uh, most admired people and ideas we had, uh, from broadcasting to everywhere else, with the mining and everything, South Africa had it also. So, so in that middle part, so we went from being somebody everybody wanted to, uh, to, to help, then we went to the country that everybody wanted to come to, to realize their goals. Uh, because South Africa, so we didn't need, uh, people across the continent did not now need to go to New York, uh, to England, uh, to anywhere else to realize, uh, uh, if, 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 if you will, utopia. They saw South Africa as that place where they all would want to go go to all would want to end them. But they also looked at South Africa during that time as a place that they helped to liberate and a place where they believe they can come to and to be one with their brothers and sisters. Then the third part of how South Africa uh, then got to be seen was uh, as the borders opened, it obviously became very difficult for South Africa to, um, uh, it, it, it naturally would have been a, a challenge for South Africa to absorb all the uh, all, all the influx of people who come into the country, and with our porous borders, uh, uh, open hearts, everybody came to the country. But most of them came in and 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 demonstrated um, 
um, the, 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 the ingenuity or the inventiveness uh, or the entrepreneurship. That's why they started opening up shops and everywhere in the townships. But during that period, uh, South African, South Africa was in a quote unquote uh, decline. So we went to a country which was a prior state where everybody want, didn't want to come here except the Africans want to liberate, to a country which became to the aspiration everybody wanted to come here, and then enter the phase where, where everybody was now in here, then South Africa is in a state of decline, um, no jobs, uh, or jobs are in the decline, opportunities are in the decline, but I'm speaking in particular to the majority, the 85% of the country, the people of the, of the black people. Uh, and there was a period to, in, in which now we started seeing the ugly side of South Africa, uh, with our xenophobia, uh, for, uh, for, for, uh, for example. So during that period, South Africa was seen differently. It was now seen as an ungrateful nation. Uh, a nation that forgot how it got its freedom, a nation that forgot who harbored it. You know, I spent a lot of time with uh, Kenneth Kaunda uh, many years ago. I spent, I used to go there every weekend just to go sit and talk to him. And he was explaining to me, he says, Kevin, when the, when the apartheid government was bombing the country, uh, I opened my country for your people. My pa- own parliament was criticizing me for, for, for prioritizing the liberation of South Africa, Zimbabwe and Mozambique and all those, uh, instead of uh, focusing on the, on, on, on the enrichment, if you will, or, or, or the prosperity of the people of, of, of Zambia. And, um, so, so, so one could understand then, um, I could understand that, uh, that how, how the xenophobic, which was very anti-South African and un-African was received or is being received. And I remember walk, driving, uh, uh, arriving in in, 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 in Ghana at the airport and they took my passport and it takes my passport to stamp before he stamped it to look at me he said why do you treat us like this he says I thought we were brothers so you can imagine uh, that is the perception of South Africa a country that needed to be helped a country that could be the place that people admire and the aspiration aspire to come to, and then the country that everybody now wants to run away from. So it's a difficult uh, 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 country, and that's how it is seen. And I'm speaking from a pan-African perspective. Interesting observation, Hebe, uh, particularly because you, you are well-traveled, well-exposed. To what extent do you think the myopic view of most of South Africans who have not uh, being outside the border uh, uh, is quite key in, in them not really appreciating the, Af- the pan-Africanist uh, view that you've just shared. And most importantly, but also acknowledging the fact that in the past, South Africa, uh, you know, uh, some of the some of the African countries up north, um, you've pointed out to Ghana, you've pointed out to uh, Kenneth Kaunda, you know, engagement with you, you know, to what extent do you think the vast majority of South Africa who have not been exposed um, to traveling and to expose to different cultures, do you think they would have behaved differently if they've had that kind of exposure, even just at the tiniest, tiniest level? I think it is not so much the, it is not so much the travel that, that is important. It is the education. And I'll refer back to Kaunda again. Kaunda said to me, he says the first thing that he did when he came into government, he did something with the education. He said, we will ensure that we educate our people in the, it will be part of the curriculum in terms of how we, how we got our liberation, who helped us to get our liberation. The problem with South African education is that we don't have anywhere 
uh, articulated uh, the story of South Africa, of how South Africa got its uh, liberation and, um, and, uh, and, and, and the relationships uh, that got us here. So because of that, you don't necessarily need to travel, but you sit, but some way it could have been written, some way it could have been part of the curriculum, could have been part of the culture, could have been part of the narrative, but because it isn't, as a result, people could not even travel intellectually. And, uh, and so we, we can't blame the South Africans. Uh, I think you can blame the system of South Africa in terms of we did not uh, make it easy for South Africans uh, to understand and, and to appreciate their freedom in the way that I've spoken about. Thank you very much for that insight. If you have just joined us, I'm joined online by Tebi Kalafin, uh, who is a guru in, in, in brand leadership and really giving us insight in terms of, of how South Africa has been viewed, uh, you know, uh, you know, before apartheid, you know, during apartheid and after apartheid and very interesting observations, uh, in terms of how the country has been viewed by, by festival Africans. Um, you know, do we in, in our conversation, uh, our SMS line is 34519, Telegram is 061-895-1019. Um, we're going to take a break uh, in, a, in just a second, but the, this is something that I want to put to you, Tabe, as we, as we gravitate towards the break. Um, surely, um, you know, we can turn around the country from a branding point of view. There was a time when uh, South Africa used to be almost like a, a enviable destination to be at, but because of where we are economically, you know, we, we are worse off. Um, is there a chance from a brand new point? Because obviously this is a very complex uh, ecosystem. You know, it's about politics, it's about economy, it's about culture, it's about all sorts of issues that makes it a better. Do you think we, we from at a macro level, we can turn the ship around? While we're still pondering on that question, let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. Uh, welcome back. Uh, it's now uh, 20, 20, now 29 minutes to 7. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. I sincerely hope, uh, you know, the technology, you know, glitches don't really mess up a very interesting conversation that I'm having with Tabit Galafeng. If you have just joined us, uh, he's my guest tonight. And, uh, you might recall Tabit is a brand, uh, leadership guru, uh, uh, you know, executive, uh, and also founder of Brand Africa. Uh, he has, um, traveled literally, uh, you know, all the, you know, corners of the continent and well traveled abroad as well, really giving us a, a heads up in terms of the quality of brand and extent to which a brand could could become a currency that any country can leverage on. Before we went to the break, Tabby, the question that I wanted to reflect on, now that you, you know you, you were talking about the, the three phases which define South African standing, you know, the third phase being that of a decline. Uh, but from a brand point of view, um, as you go and engage with a host of uh, other brand ambassadors, what sort of what sort of message of hope are you conveying to your counterpart, given given the the, the current um, you know social and economic uh, quagmire that you find yourself in across the continent or South Africa? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm an Afro optimist, so I don't I don't peddle uh, negative news about South Africa or about any African country. That's how when I travel, people always when people read my see my Instagram about my travels because I because I documented my travel quite well. Uh, quite extensively as I was traveling through the continent. When I document, people always say to me, 
But how come we don't see the things that people talk about the continent, the negatives, the poverty, the all those? I said, I said, because when I travel, I learned something many, many years ago. When I leave my country, I, I, when I, when I go to another country, I try and immerse myself in the country and understand and uh, appreciate what makes the country special, not what, what takes the country down. So as a start, when I travel, when I document, so, so by doing that, I, 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 I effortlessly tell a positive story, not just about the continent, but also about my country, South Africa, because as a South African, I become a gracious guest everywhere I go. And I never take my country with me uh, because I am my country. It's within me. So I don't need to be uh, telling people, if I were in South Africa, this is what I would do. If I were, which is other problem that we have as South Africans, is as we travel the continent, we, we go and we try and impose in those countries what would have been a South African experience. Well, you are not in South Africa. So forget trying to impose yourself on other people's countries. So uh, so, so to start with, uh, what I do when I travel, I try and show them the best of, uh, of, of, of South African uh, um, hospitality or hospitality guestmanship. So I, be, I become a very gracious, uh, gracious guest and also a grateful guest uh, in terms of um, uh, accepting who they are and how they are. And so that because every single person who travels, who, who engages with other people, whatever experience they have or whatever, whatever impressions they leave, that uh, that cumulatively becomes the impressions of the country they come from. So that's uh, my, my my story. The second part of how I, what I, what I do in terms of myself is um, by championing this Pan African brand um, uh, brand uh, brand Africa, the Pan African uh, initiative. By championing that initiative, I'm trying to focus on the collective of Africa. That collectively, as as an African continent, we can we we can leverage our our entrepreneurship, our inventiveness, our intuition. Our, our creativity, our, our innovation, our creativity, we can, we can leverage that to recreate the whole continent. But also what's beautiful is we can also understand that as a continent, different countries will contribute different things. That's why a country as small as Rwanda or 12 to 15 million people, uh, they say they, they push themselves. They want to be in the meetings and the technology space. South Africa always led in the financial services space and perhaps telecom space. So you go through different countries and say, what do you, what can you contribute to the whole African agenda? Because when we do that collectively, we are driving a pan-African and, and, a, and a wholly successful Africa. So what I do is I champion those possibilities. I champion the possibilities of Africa and, um, and, and I try and offer solutions from where I come from. And that's why I offer them from two areas. Uh, a consciousness in terms of uh, where we are as a, in creating our own brands. And the reason I'm so focused on brands is because brands are, brands are, uh, do two, three things of us, for us. One is brands become the vector of the image of the country. They come from when you when you when you hear a brand called MTN is from South Africa. You're like, oh my goodness, South Africa created a brand in 25 countries in the continent, uh, such a well-respected world-class brand. South Africa must be a great country. Or if you hear that a brand like Mbesa comes from Kenya, you're like, oh my goodness, they've been able to create the most admired money transfer brand in the world out of Kenya. Kenya must have a uh, 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 great people. So that's what brands do. They create that uh, positive image about the continent. Uh, this about the country we come from. The second thing that brands do is because the brands, we create the brands in our countries, in our continent, 
we are then create, we are then leaving the money here in the continent, in the countries where they come from. Instead of, if you look at much of the brands that we admire, in the survey that I do every year, 80% of the brands that Africans admire are non-African. So that means that 80% of our agenda is driven, or our image, or our identity is driven by non-African ideas. So, 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 and, and, and you can almost even say that 80% of the money that's made here goes out of the continent. So by, by championing Made in Africa, you are keeping the brands here in the continent. You are keeping the money here in the continent. You are doing the third most important thing. You are creating jobs. And by, and you are creating jobs because now you are expanding, uh, you are creating opportunities for African entrepreneurs who are creating these brands and are creating the jobs uh, in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in the country. And to me, those are the three most important things. Because when you are creating jobs here and you are keeping the money here, you are then creating the money that will fund the development. They, we did not need to go out, we would not have needed to go out to the IMF and the World Banks to go borrow money for COVID, uh, for, for, for P, uh, PPEs, uh, for, 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 for COVID and for any other things, or to fund our development, or to fund our roads, to fund our, 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 our infrastructure, to fund our toilets, our, 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 uh, our hospitals, because we will, would have created the money here. The reason countries like America and China uh, and all those are where they are and they're able to look after themselves is because they are creating the the money uh, inside their own countries. So while we while we may hate what he said about himself, Donald Trump, the one thing that he did say uh, that does make sense is when he said America first, he did not necessarily, he didn't necessarily have to mean America alone. But in many ways, um, uh, what, it, what, what, what he, by prioritizing America, uh, he, he created an opportunity for American businesses to, uh, to thrive. Yes, he may have had his flaws, or maybe nine out of ten of the things he did were flawed. Uh, but, uh, but the one thing that, uh, that was interesting, uh, worth noting for Africans is this, um, putting your country first. I'm glad, I'm glad you raised that, um, you know, the, 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 the quantum around what, what Africans actually, what's the buying power, uh, which Africans forfeit because they're not almost like, uh, in a self-hate kind of uh, environment. Uh, whereas, I mean, instead of investing in brands that could potentially create opportunities uh, internally we want to elevate and appreciate external brands there in, in there as you've currently pointed out uh, we are enriching the first world uh, are we creating you know this this divide between the first and the second world or even the third world because we're not really pushing our own brands that has got to do with first education um, has got to do with with changing the mindset how do we, cause, cause ultimately it's all about the mindset, um, which needs to be part of any major government initiative. In, in South Africa, we know we've got, you know, proudly South African, uh, uh, kind of messaging. Uh, in Mozambique, they've got the same thing. In Kenya, we've got the same thing. To what extent do you think we're not, we're not really elevating ourselves, uh, well enough to leverage on those kind of positive messaging. To what, what, how do you explain the fact that we still, as you've pointed out, that 80% of, uh, uh, the money is, is, is literally been, been, been thrown out because we're procuring or buying goods and services which are not made in our own country. Well, I mean, and you started the one part of it, which is the education. I think, I think if we, if we, if we had to, there's two things we need to do. 
we need to invest in uh, in the right education. Um, and uh, part of the right education to me, it starts with something that the Nigerian fellow Kuti said. Um, he said, I must identify with Africa, then I will have an identity. So we need to have a clear uh, appreciation of the self, of our history, of our culture, of our heritage, of who we are. Because if we have that sense of pride in who we are, with that sense of pride in who we are, we are then able to to take that pride and infuse it in everything. It will enable us to put Africa first. Uh, so to me, that's the first, the first thing that we need to do. Uh, we need to have that. Um, uh, we need to have an, uh, an education and appreciation of who we are. But the second thing that we need to have um, is then we then need to look at the quote unquote that uh, our curriculum. What is our education teaching us? We know something already uh, as South Africans. We know something already, and let me use a South African example. We know, for example, uh, when Fervurt uh, introduced. Um, uh, apartheid system, apartheid education, Bantu education, whatever you call it. Uh, when you educated that, we we could we could tell from that point uh, the power of 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 what education does because he created a, a third class education system for us, which ensured that our minds and our ambitions will be limited to serving to 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 servantship, if you will, uh, to being servants. To serving others rather than to serve, uh, rather than to think. So, and, uh, and the second thing that we did, I think we spoke, we uh, may have talked to you about, uh, about it a while ago as well, is part of ensuring that we, um, that we, we, we've got third class education. They built a beer hall in every single, in every single township and every single corner. Why? So that as servants, we go work for, for, for the apartheid uh, uh, um, uh, rulers, and then after work we go drown our sorrows and forget about about, about anything. So as a result, uh, education uh, dented our our if you will ambition. Uh, the type of education we had made us less ambitious and more desperate. Um, so that's the third thing. This, the second thing. The third thing is that what a, a government should be investing in. Our government should be investing, um, uh, they should be investing in enabling entrepreneurship. Because if you don't enable people to deliver, to create uh, all those things, then we are not going to create anything. We need to create an, an, an enabling environment. An, an environment such that if you look at, I think I know who was speaking to the other day, that um, the kids who go to Stanford, and up create uh, uh, Stanford. Even if they drop out of Stanford, they definitely end up creating bigger things. Whether those things are called Google or are you with me? Big ideas. Because the mm-hmm. type of education and environment uh, that they 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 get out of there help enables them to be to contribute to society broadly. So 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 as uh, but that's just the one part. But the other part of it is that the countries and maybe China is a very good example. Actually, uh, China is a very good example in terms of uh, creating an enabling environment. So and and I'm gonna put it in a very loose way. The the concept when when um when uh when when Alibaba when Alibaba started out, remember he came from our uh, Kinsey and all those. When he went back oh. to America and all those, he wanted to create a competitor to Google, to Facebook, and to Twitter, and to Amazon. Remember, we wanted to, we wanted to create 
a, a bigger uh, a tech-led uh, environment. So what, what happened then? Then you got um, you got um, you got uh, the the American brands, uh, Facebook and uh, Ubers and all those coming to China to try and um, to try and offer their services. The Chinese government said, "Hold up two seconds. These are the terms." For cutting, for coming to our countries. So, if you want to come to our country to come and offer services, you have to fulfill these terms. You must X, Y, and Z. Those terms are so prohibitive, but they created on the other side an, uh, a, a, a playing ground for local Chinese people to create competitive brands. So when the brands were competitive, the Chinese said, oh, it's open now. Now you can come in and compete with us. But at that time, the Alibabas were now flying. So now these other brands were forced to do one or two things. You either partner with us or you bring something that we have yet to see. So, 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 so not, so, so not only are you creating an enabling environment, part of creating an enabling environment is trying to understand how do you incentivize uh, um, um, entrepreneurs, and how do you manage your borders, your economic borders? So, and I'm hoping that, you know, one of the things that will do better uh, with the Africa Free Trade Continental um, Agreement uh, 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 that is that, that is now uh, coming to law in the continent. I'm hoping that with that, we now will be able to do just that for the continent. We now will be able to say, as Africans, we are going to manage these borders such that our people get to benefit first. And anybody else who comes in, they better offer us something better. We are tired of having our borders being opened for second-hand goods that come from Germany or that come from Ireland. Uh, that's why a country like Rwanda, they said, you are not going to dump your, your second-hand clothes here because by doing that, you are, you are killing our textile uh, industry. Our people cannot create uh, a textile industry and uh, cannot create jobs because you are bringing all those horrible, uh, uh, dirty, worn clothes and selling them here and closing off the opportunities for our people to think for themselves. So, there we go. So, so to me, that's how you're going to fix the continent, but also how you're going to fix the country. Uh, for, for certain, if you want to fix South Africa, if you want to start, yes, uh, so your question, your bigger question was, can we fix South Africa? Of course we can fix South Africa. We can fix South Africa based on what I've just said, but also, and, and that, that will help from an eco- economy. But you can also fix South Africa from, uh, from an identity perspective. Because the problem with South Africa is an identity problem. South Africa does not, South Africa thinks that they don't understand that in the southern part of Africa, they think that South Africa is disconnected from Africa. There we go. If you've touched on us, I'm, I'm having a very fascinating conversation with Tabi Kalafeng. Uh, do weigh in in our conversation, 34519, Telegram is 0618951019. What do you make, what do you make of Tabi's, uh, observations? What do you make of his input? Um, and I, I, the last point that you, you know, you reflected on Tabi is the fact that, you know, the, the, the whole issue of, of identity and extent to which South Africans in the main don't consider themselves um, you know, as, as, as Africans, or perhaps maybe they, they have a sense of superiority, uh, outlook. Um, that is why perhaps maybe they, they, you know, uh, they, they often, uh, take for granted or undermine fellow, uh, Africans because of this, 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 
uh, myopic view of identity. But, but, you know, again, I suppose it's going to go back to education, the extent to which the education, formal or and on, or an informal education system, how it infuse uh, and elevate the, the importance of, of, you know, identity or the importance of solidarity, particularly in an African context. Your take on that, Tebe? Um, so uh, recap that for me again. I'm saying the, one of my observations is the fact that um, the whole issue of identity, particularly yeah. from the South African point of view, um, yeah. has not been thoroughly understood because the, the, the South Africans in the main have a superiority complex uh, when they compare themselves with other you know, African countries for them. The fact that we've got a superior uh, financial services, we've got superior mining, we've got superior infrastructure and so on and so forth, that tends to take away uh, what is that we can learn from African from other African countries. That, 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 in my mind, and based on your utterances, does suggest that's something that we need to fix and fix very quickly for us to turn the, the economy around. Oh, most definitely. Um, most definitely. Uh, so when you travel around the continent and you ask, you speak about South African business people, uh, they say, oh, you know, those South Africans, they come here, they want to tell us how to do things. So South Africans are known across the continent to be very colonial in their, in their management approach. And that's, and, and, and you know already as a, as a start, that's not going to work anywhere else. Uh, because that, because every country, as I've said, has got its own strengths. So, uh, so, so if, so if you start with that superior complex that South Africa has, you then, uh, will come, you then will definitely not be able at all to be able to see the good or the value or the excellence in other places because you've already told yourself you are superior. So, 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 so South Africa having led in telecommunications for so many years, um, was beaten by Kenya. In, when it comes to mobile money transfer. I went to Somalia, to Mogadishu, and I was absolutely stunned in, in, uh, in, in Somalia. I was absolutely stunned when I got there and, um, and, uh, when, 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 when I was in a car and in a taxi and, um, the guy stopped the car, our car, not a taxi, it's the guy, the security guard stopped our car and he asked the, the driver, have money for a loose draw. We call it loose draw in South Africa for a cigarette. For one cigarette. Um, so you have money for a cigarette for me. Uh, the guy, he says, he says, hey, can you help me? I just want to get a cigarette. The guy says, sure, no problem. What's your number? Um, so I'm like thinking, loose draw. Loose draw must be two rounds or something. And the guy is looking for a number. I'm like, what number is he looking for? So he gives him a number and the guy takes his phone and does something and says, sure, cheers. He says, yeah, thank you. I'm like, what has happened here? He says, oh no. I just transferred money to him um, to buy. I said, about one cigarette, he says, yes, we don't use, we are paperless. 98% of the country's paperless, we don't use paper. So South Africa, uh, you know, we get, um, we, we don't even have those type of uh, advances here. Uh, we've got, we only got uh, cash sent in uh, the last few years, uh, whereas country, and, and even then, it's too complicated. Um, for, for, for the rest of us. Um, we, we still use ATM because we're still a brick and mortar led country compared to other countries which are way past in, te- in, in technology, uh, 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 like, like Kenya. You go to a country, um, like, um, Senegal now, they just opened the Museum of African History. So you're thinking, wow, you see, they, they understand the importance 
of putting uh, African culture at the center of what we do. So, 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 so the pro- so to overcome South Africa's, pers- not pers- South Africa's, um, uh, um, self-perceived superiority or self-superiority, if, if I will, is South Africa's, South Africa needs to be humbled a bit. And, and right now South Africa, right now South Africa is going through a very humbling experience. And that's why everybody looks at us as South Africans and looks at us and says, now you understand what it's like. You are exactly where you said we were. Matter of fact, <laughs> you are us now. Yeah. Talk, talking of humbling. My last, my last point, Tebe, we literally have about seven minutes before we wrap up. I just want to pick your brain. Um, um, on, on, on brand and, and equity related issues as it relates to corporates. I mean, we know and we've picked up, um, in so many times that, you know, big brands, big companies such as your Chaga brands, uh, on the issue of, of listeriosis, for an example, Steinhoff, accounting irregularities, Toga Tulet, uh, Gupta owned companies and all these companies, you know, the, I think the biggest question when you look at the corporate governance scandals, which are well documented, is somehow um, uh, reflected in the inability of the executive to appreciate the value of a brand uh, and and brand equity. Uh, to what extent, you know, is that part, that particular assertion uh, correct or misguided, if you may? So, if you look at the scandals that we've had, uh, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's uh, like we said, Tiger Brands, Listeroses, whether it's Steinhoff, uh, whether it's uh, VBS, whether it's KPMG, the ones that you highlight. If you look at some of those challenges, those show that there's a there, there is a there's a deeper problem in uh, in corporate South Africa. So you see, when you are going to build a brand, you're going to build a reputation of a brand. You are going to build it on three things: on the vision, on the value proposition, what it is you sell. And on the value. The vision is really where you are taking. So now what people are asking us now, what consumers are asking us, they're asking us a simple question. They are saying, I really don't care about the brand, your logo, your identity, who you are, where you come from. I care about what value you are adding to society. And they are saying that, I think 80% of them are saying that we will punish you if we feel that you are taking away from us. So, 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 so what your brand and your product and uh, your, your company is, it's really just a promise made and a promise you need to deliver on. But all those are based on having sound values because the values determine how we are going to behave internally in relation to our customers and in relation to us, to each other and in relation to society. So companies are being asked every day, um, that you need to reflect the types of values that uh, build that build society and not the values that take away or destroy from society. But do you, do you think there's there's an, a greater appreciation, Tebe, uh, if um, you know brand can be you know literally eroded um, within a very short space of time? That there is, do you think there's sufficient understanding and consciousness among the executives? On how brand could, you know, the values, you know, could be, you know, monetary value of a particular brand could be destroyed. I mean, for an example, look at uh, the you know, VBS Bank, look at APMG, look at um, Steinhoff, look at, you know, Tonga Tulet, uh, look at Tega Brand. I mean, they, these guys have lost substantial amount of money purely based on a an executive decision or decisions that did not take into account uh, the interest of the stakeholder, almost like companies acting as islands 
uh, aloof from the impact of which which they have in the in the communities. Are we now seeing a wave where more and more top executives um, or individuals that represent you know uh, well managed brand? Are we perhaps maybe thinking, well, we're getting somewhere or is this a, we still have a long way to go in terms of, you know, uh, emphasizing that level of consciousness among leaders? There is, you, you, you know, if there is one value, every company needs to, I don't, not they need to write, which they need to be and then they need to love is the word trust. Trust has been eroded so much. In, in, uh, uh, in, in corporates, in, in the leaders. And the, and the, the, the people that you've mentioned, you know, whether you go all the way to the back, to the Enrons and all those are uh, back in the, in the 90s or 80s, 90s, or whether you come back all the way here to Steinloff here in South Africa, the one thing that destroyed the values and destroyed in the cases of the Enrons and all those, um, uh, companies, the what destroyed them is the word trust. Is we didn't we can't we because we can't trust you you do not you lose your license to exist and trust to me is the most important thing and if you lose your license to exist then you lose your ability to create value and to uh, and, and 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 to 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 uh, to, to earn a license to exist so trust is the most important value um, and um, and that value uh, has got a big impact on the value. Uh, of the organization or the value that you can create uh, as a business. Most, most of the companies you've talked about, uh, many of them don't exist. So yes, uh, our, our, our values have got a very a big import, uh, impact on, our, on, 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 the, on the currency or, or the valuation of any business. There, there you are. If you've just joined us again, I mean, as we literally wrapping up, I uh, hope you didn't miss that quite a bit. Uh, you can obviously follow up the conversation we've had with Tebe Igalafeng. Uh, I still have a, in a minute or two. If you want to ask me a question, by all means, uh, please throw in a question via our SMS line, which is 34519. The telegram is 061-895-1019. Tebe, as we are literally, you know, um, wrapping up the show, uh, what will be your, 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 your biggest, um, what, what am I looking for? Your biggest, uh, affirmation that you want to push, you know, pass on to executives from who, you know, who needs to think uh, and appreciate brand new much better? To me, it's the one big word. Purpose. Everything that you do must be purposeful. We need to build purposeful brands, purposeful organization, because if you start at that point, uh, and purpose is really about ensuring that uh, your business is aligned with the good of society. There we go. Thank you very much, Sebe. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. It has been absolutely beautiful having you on board. I certainly think and believe the listeners have uh, a food for thought and are reflecting on some of very uh, poignant issues that you've raised, which which can only make us better. Once again, thank you for gracing the airways, Sebe. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Dr. Mbele, and I love you. Talk to you, my friend. Thank you, my brother. There you go. That's Terry Kalafeng who was uh, giving us uh, interesting uh, views around the value of brand and brand leadership or, or basically brand effectiveness. Unfortunately, we're going to leave it there. We have run out of time. Let's do this again next week. Uh, please look after yourself. COVID is still rife. Uh, look after yourself and be safe. Have a good one.